Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Donald Mazzella, and I am Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. We come to you through four media channels, here at Blog Talk Radio, through our online newsletters, via our magazine, and now video channel. They are now all available to you at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Each month, We touch more than one million small business leaders through our various channels. Each hour here at Small Business Digest Radio, we hope to bring you information, strategies, and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are carefully chosen for their expertise or experience. They do not pay to be on this program, but rather our editors and readers identify them. We also identify the topics of possible interest for our audiences. If you have any suggestions or particular topics you want us to cover, please email us at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. Tonight's program, like all our efforts, have a wide diversity of guests talking about the topics you want to hear. We have an especially interesting program today. Uh, Later on, we're going to hear from John DeVito, who is president of uh, Flexible Benefits on Obamacare, uh, and a very uh, unusual guest. Someone I saw um, last week at a HP press briefing, Dan Banoff, who this, uh, he went from being a company uh, manager to running a p- peanut shop. I found that very interesting. Uh, when we, as we wait for our first guest to appear, uh, I'd like like to. Um, mention to the audience some of the of our recent tweets. We tweet every day at, at hashmark to SB Digest. Uh, I found a very interesting uh, footnote to a study, uh, which was uh, published in the Wall, Wall Street Journal, that small businesses next month are going to pay nine billion dollars in additional taxes due to. Uh, the Obamacare, and I see our first guest is here to join us. John, are you on the line? Hey, Don, it's John Osho from SwiftPage. How are you? I'm I'm terrific, John. Glad you could join us. Uh, John, we always ask our guests uh, first off to say a little bit about the personal background before we get into uh, discussing anything else. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, great. Yeah, so uh, I've been uh, the CEO here of SwiftPage for 
just about a year, maybe a little over a year. Um, and uh, Bob Ogden and I uh, have known each other. Bob Ogden is the founder of, of SwiftPage. We've known each other for a decade, and I've kind of been around uh, the SwiftPage family for a while. I was an advisor to the business in, uh, since 2003 and four, and then officially on the board in 2009, and then took over as CEO in 2012. Prior to that, uh, I took a, a company named uh, IHS. Uh, it was a, a $200 million privately held company. We cleaned it up, took it public, did about 37 acquisitions, and we we took that to about $1.2 billion, uh, which was a, a wonderful, fun ride. And uh, that's what actually got me out here to uh, to Colorado, which is kind of nice. I'm originally from the, the from the East Coast. And, uh, and you know, prior to that, I've had uh, different executive positions in Johnson and Johnson and Kellogg's, and did a stint at Land America Financial and, and things along those lines. So that's a little bit of my background, and uh, it's it's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, we're glad to have you. Um, uh, before we get into your product, uh, let's identify our audience is small business leaders. Um, uh, let's identify what, what the trends are today that led up to your product and, and, and um, what the need is. Um, give us a little sure. background. Sure, sure. So, you, you know, if you, if you take a look at the, at the micro and small business, which I think is, you know, your audience and, and, and really a, a lot of our audiences as well, we actually think that uh, as, as be- businesses begin to evolve, there's four things that uh, a micro and small business needs in order to continue to to grow and transform their business. And the first is presence, right? Everybody's aware of that. Where you have, you got to have your domain name, you got to have a website, a Facebook page, etc. And once you have that, everybody's really proud of themselves, and they're like, "Look, I have this great presence." And then they realize that nobody's coming to that, so they need traffic. So then they go out and they get SEO, SEM, etc. And that drives traffic to the presence. And that creates leads. And then therein lies the third thing that they need is they said, okay, how do I convert these leads to customers, retain these customers, and then grow these customers? So that's what we call convert, retain, and grow. And then the fourth thing uh, the micro and small business needs is what we call optimization tools. So they need HR software, some financial software, maybe some payment systems, uh, et cetera. And so that kind of, if you look at that, that's what a micro and, and small business needs in order to, to grow. We uh, specifically focus on conversion and retention. And conversion and retention is all about getting to know the people, getting to know the contact. It's really around if you understand the people and the contact, that allows you to then set that foundation for which to, 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 to grow your business. So we, that's how we kind of set out to do this. So SwiftPage, which was founded back in 2001, started with an e-marketing platform. And as you really looked at that, we said, that's great because that helps you to uh, interact with people and leads and customers, etc. But it's really only a piece of, of the puzzle when you look at conversion and retention. So then we started saying, okay, what, what is it that we're going to need to do in order to in lack of a better word, own that conversion and retention space for the micro and small business. And that's where we really got to the point of saying, you know what, we really need some kind of a central repository that you can house contacts, people, etc., and all the interactions that you have with them 
in order to manage those interactions. So that's, uh, that allowed us to really start taking a look at the marketplace. We had a relationship with Sage. Sage changed their strategy where they were not focusing on anything to do with contact management or CRM anymore, and the uh, ACT uh, product line and the uh, Sales Logics product line became available, which we then acquired back in March of, uh, of 2013, just this year. Um, so we've, we've owned them since, uh, since that period of time. That enabled us, if I, if I want to, I'm going to focus on, on uh, ACT for, for just a, a minute here. We really believe that ACT becomes the, the centerpiece uh, or the center of the universe, universe for that conversion and retention space. And it's all oh, about before, the fact... Sure, go ahead. Before we go further, explain what ACT does. Um, so ACT, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Yeah, no, ACT has been, is, a, is a fantastic brand that's been around for 26 years. It's been number one in, in contact management uh, for, for those years. And it also has different aspects of a, of a light CRM uh, for the micro and small business. So it is, it's a repository that enables you to, to manage all of your contacts, manage all of your history around those contacts, all the interactions with those contacts, and then it also has things like scheduling, and it has uh, um, task managers, and it has uh, opportunity management, et cetera. So some light CRM types of things, particularly geared towards the, uh, towards the micro and small business. Uh, CRM being customer retention management? Customer relationship management, yeah. Right. Uh, um, one of the things I, we found in our research is that we throw these terms around, assuming that that small business leader knows what it is, and that's why I'm, I'm interrupting you to make sure that our audience knows what those acronyms mean. Yeah, Don, thank you so much, because we, we do get caught up in, in, in acronyms and, and, and really assuming sometimes that everybody understands what we're, what we're talking about, which you know, from our standpoint, which is exactly why we've we've started taking a look at the market now and saying, you know what, it, it really isn't just about CRM or customer relationship management anymore. It's about, if you think about the world today and what the micro and small business is facing with the technology changes, with the evolution on how people utilize that technology, the traditional sales and marketing as we know it is really going to going away and, and dying. It's all about what we call in managing interactions. That's the way people work today. It's not whether, oh, I have to do a marketing thing or I have to do a sales thing or I have to do a customer service thing anymore. It's how do I interact with a different type of a person, whether it's a lead or whether it's a customer, a return customer, etc. And so you have these lines that are blurring uh, between you know, traditional marketing, selling, and service into really understanding, okay, I have to interact with these people, but how? How do I do that? And so what we're really looking at and where I think this, this whole industry is going um, is really about managing interactions, whatever type of interaction they are, and then providing an environment for the micro and small business which guides them to the next interaction. What's the right interaction to have with the right person at the right time. If you do that, 
your probability of a transaction gets higher and higher because you keep having better and better interactions. And that's really where we see this whole uh, industry going is to create a, a software environment for that micro and small business that allows them to manage whatever interaction they have and then guides them to say, here's the next interaction that you should have, uh, and then that would lead to, uh, to, to a transaction. So that, that's, that's what we're, we're kind of all about here. Well, let me uh, ask you a question then. Uh, uh, if, if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is if someone comes to your website and leaves their name in, in return, say, for a white paper, <coughs> um, your system, uh, uh, what the small business um, leader should be doing then is having uh, a plan to follow up with that, either having an email campaign or someone calling that person. Am I? Is that what you mean by that? Or um, yeah, please. Yeah, Don. You. Yeah, Don. You're right on. That's 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 exactly right. So that's the key. So we go back to those four boxes that we talked about, whether it's presence, traffic, or optimization. And in each one of those, there's all different types of interact uh, of interactions, right? So so somebody could come to your website. And they say, oh, you know what, this is an interesting thing. You're right. Let me put my name and uh, an address in there or whatever, and I, want, and I would like to get more information about your product or maybe a white paper or whatever. So that's an interaction. So you, know, you capture that information about that interaction, and it brings it back into, into ACT. Um, maybe there's a, you know, a search engine observation where they click through or they do something like that. Okay, we capture all of that information about that interaction and put it through. Maybe it was actually a transaction that they did on an e-commerce site. So you want to capture that transaction as an interaction and bring that in. So all of those interactions, no matter whether it's an email campaign, a social campaign, somebody lands into your, into your website, or somebody goes to your e-commerce site, or maybe it was a, co a phone conversation or a face-to-face -face meeting. All of those interactions get captured inside of, uh, of the ACT uh, repository. Then there's a recommendation engine that is inside of that. Now what that recommendation do engine does is it goes in and it starts to um, analyze all of the interactions and then the reactions to those interactions. And then based upon that, it gives you back as a small business owner, this is what you should do. This is your to-do list. Right? Today you should you know, call John because he's really interested. And don't worry about Don. He's not as interested yet, but we'll keep an eye on what's, what's that's going on. So you know, the analogy, Don, that we like to use is that if you take somebody like a landscaper and you know, they have, uh, you know, maybe they have their, themselves and three or four other people working for them and they're out all day long, cutting lawns and weeding gardens or whatever, and, and uh, then they get home. When they're home, they have, you know, they've just eaten dinner and they've got two hours before they have to go to bed before they get up to do the thing the next day. What's the best use of those two hours? Would it be to go into a system and try and figure out how to, uh, you know, add a bunch of information in there, uh, mine that information, write a bunch of reports, and then bring all that out? Or would you like to go into a system that says, okay, here's, here's all the interactions that were had, here's what you should do tomorrow, or here's what you should do in the next, you know, today and tomorrow. And that's what I think a, a, a micro and small business is, is really focusing on is 
doing their business and letting the you know the software um, you know, our software kind of tell them how to convert, retain, and grow those uh, those leads and customers. Well, you know, a small business sometimes is so busy fulfilling the current orders that they don't know how to manage their time uh, to get the the new orders or um, uh, the reorders that are so important uh, to correct, success. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree, hundred percent. So, um, so basically, what you're saying, uh, I, I'm curious, and I don't know how much you can say, but Sage is a big company, mm-hmm. and they had to act for so long. Yet they, yet, and if the trend is going that way, why did they step out of this area? Good for you, but but why did they do it? You know, it's, that's a great question, Don. You know, I think that they had uh, a, a strategy uh, that they publicly announced that they were going to focus on their core business. And for Sage, the core business is all around accounting and accounting packages and ERP as opposed to uh, customer and contact relation, uh, relationship management. So they, they attempted to, to, to just say, no, you know, we're going to focus on core and this other stuff to our business, Sage being, is non-core. And uh, and that's that's uh, that's what they decided to do. And you know, yeah, it is great for us. We we worked with uh, with Sage since 2006. Actually, our Swift page, uh, um, both con- uh, Connect and Engage platforms, were embedded in some of their uh, some of their products. So we knew the Sage business very very well. And when we, they determined to talk about, or when they talked about this new strategy. Uh, we just uh, contacted them right away and said, you know what, you, you, it's great for you that you're focusing on your core, but this other stuff is our core. We would love to uh, to talk to you about owning these properties. So uh, the, a lesson for a small business that's involved like you are, uh, look for the opportunity if, the, if a big boy decides uh, to shed Absolutely, it's it's a great uh, it's a great concept because a lot of times larger companies will acquire smaller companies with the grandiose thought that they're going to take them and grow them or whatever. And a lot of times it doesn't work. And uh, those are opportunities for this micro and small businesses to say to see that and say, hey, let's you know what that's really much more uh, strategic for my business than it is. It's more of an adjacent for the larger company. So there are opportunities to to you know pull those out and and uh, actually grow your business. All right. So now you have a, a, this product. <clears throat> um, I'm a small business. Uh, what uh, you've kind of outlined it. And what does your product do that makes it um, uh, that will make it advantageous for me, a micro business, or even a SMB? So the Act product is uh, is think of it as the center of the universe. Uh, for for your business, and why? Because it houses the most critical information that you need in order to grow your business, and that's the information about people or the contact or the customer. Uh, there's multiple names for it. It houses all of the all the information, all of the interactions. It allows you to schedule what's the next right interaction. It allows you to capture the transactions, uh, etc. So it really becomes that central repository for the critical information that you need in order to, order to grow. And it's also very open, so which that means is that it connects to it connects to your website, it connects to your 
to your, um, your, your, your SEO and SEM. It connects to if you have all kinds of stuff in, in either Outlook or Gmail or whatever, it connects to that and pulls that in. connects to ERP systems or financial systems like QuickBooks and, uh, and some of the other ones that are, that are out there uh, these days. It connects to e-commerce sites. So it becomes that central repository that you can use to connect to the rest of the pieces of your business. And, uh, and then it just becomes the way that you do business, that you manage those interactions. It tells you what's the next right interaction uh, to, to, to have. And then you know, it leads you to a transaction. I think one of the things that we, we heard from one of our customers is, you know, they, they, they call us up, and I'll, I'll give you another example here in just a second too, but they said, you know, you've changed my life because I never have to make a cold call again. Um, you know, before I would get these lists, I'd buy these lists, and I'd, I'd you know, start going down the list, and I'd start making calls, and you know, 90% of the people would hang up on me, etc. But as I come out of ACT, with ACT marketing, it basically says, Hey, call these people because it's the right time, and then I'm also I'm interacting with somebody who wants me to call. So it's a very very different way of of doing business. Um, so it's it's uh, that that's that's if, if I was, you know, at, coming from a, a micro and small business, you know, that's that's the way I see it as well. Well, uh, that's pretty good. Let's uh, um, let's talk a little bit. Um, <coughs> What has been uh, your experience now? Uh, small businesses have uh, been facing uh, three to four years or five years of uh, essentially slow growth. Um, what are you seeing out in the marketplace, and what do you see are the obstacles uh, facing small business as we enter 2014? That's a great question, Don. I think you know what we're seeing is. Uh, the major obstacle that a micro and small business is seeing uh, right now going into 2014 is uncertainty. And there's so much uncertainty in the world today. What's, and it, you know, everything from everybody hears in, in, in the news, you know, healthcare. What's going to happen with, with healthcare? Am I going to have it? Am I not? Am I cost going to rise? Uh, Etc. So, you know, that uncertainty, which from that uncertainty then drives economic uncertainty is to, you know, is the economy going to come back or not? So there's, from, a, from that standpoint, the micro, and both, the micro and small business is really faced with some, some huge hurdles. When they look at that and they say, okay, what do I need to, what can I invest in in my business which I know will help me grow within, inside of all of these uh, uncertainties? And that really gets into the point of, okay, I don't want to invest in things that I don't know are going to help increase my business. I want to invest in something that I know is definitely going to increase. And that's where I think we're, you know, our whole purpose of our company is to work with the micro and small business and help them transform and grow. That, that's why every, you know, we call ourselves Swifties here at Swift Page Nation, or, or Swift Page, and we also, you know, we're Swifties inside of Swift Page Nation. Um, that's why every Swifty wakes up in the morning and comes to work, and that is to help the micro and small business transform and grow. And so, you know, that's that's those are the biggest hurdles. And so, you know, an example is there was a a, a, a company in in Philadelphia uh, called uh, Union League, and uh, it's it's a private club, and uh, as you can imagine, it's it's uh, relatively expensive to join the club and. And uh, over the last couple of years, they've watched their, their membership just dwindle. 
And so what they, you know, uncertainty and everything else that, that, that we talked about, so we, we kind of worked with them with ACT and ACTI marketing, and uh, they implemented uh, our, our system with, uh, with one of our ACT certified consultants. And what they were able to do is increase their membership over a, a 15 to 18 month time frame by 40%. And so those are the types of things that I think a micro and small business needs to look at are what are types of investments that I can make in my business that I know I'm going to get a return on when I'm having to deal with all of this uncertainty that's out there with the health care and the economy, et cetera. Well, funny you mention that. I belong to the Union League of New York. Oh, uh, great. The Union League Club. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I, I was just down there and uh, t- talking about that and uh, – we face the same problem, so you now have a lead. Uh, I think you should okay. call them up and uh, uh, say you were talking to me. Uh, but we, we face exactly the same problem. I, I, I will absolutely follow, follow up on that, Don. I appreciate that. But yeah, I, I mean, and, go ahead. And use the uh, Philadelphia Club as the reference. I will do that. Uh, uh, I will. Well, that brings me, if you have a few more minutes, I'd like to, that brings me to another point. Uh, does your system, uh, I just uh, tweeted a, a thing that, uh, uh, a, a factoid I just got, that um, uh, people are more apt to buy if they're referred by, uh, or a product is uh, praised by a friend or family. Uh, within your system, do, do you have a methodology to, uh, separate out and say this is a lead from a family or friend or uh, and, and any thoughts on it I'll leave it at that yeah that's a great that's a great uh, question and point I think it, it, the way that we look at uh, the, the, the people or the contact there's different uh, attributes that we can put uh, around them that can kind of uh, tag them if you would and, and kind of categorize them and we can do that in multiple different dimensions and one of the real, um, you know, outside of also just being connected where we can capture information about how are people liking it or tweeting about it or et cetera, so we can bring all that in to, to, uh, to, to house the history around that. But inside of, of ACT, we have a, a very powerful search engine which enables you to go in and search through your, your repository. And you can put all different kinds of filters on that. You can say, you know, who's a referring or who's, who's related to this or is somebody like the, you know, the Broncos. We're big Broncos fans out here. Uh, and, it, and what that does is it pulls out, it searches any aspect around the contact, not just the contact or the person's name or whatever, but any history or any interaction or whatever. And it pulls back information about that. And that allows you to create groups and then subgroups, uh, et cetera. So you can literally... As a, uh, as a person or a contact in our repository belong to multiple types of, uh, of groups. And you can create a group and say, is there anybody that's related to that? Is there anybody that was referenced from that? Is there anybody that is part of you know, the, the Broncos fan club? Um, or I'm from Philadelphia originally, so I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, you know, so you, you, it enables you to, to do that, which then houses and captures more information and, and groups and, and tags them uh, as well. Does that make Does that make sense? Does that kind of get what you were talking about? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, 
I really appreciate uh, How do people contact you and learn more about your, your company? So very easy contact is www.swiftpage.com or www.act.com. Um, you can contact myself at joshel at swiftpage.com. Uh, so, yeah, there's lots, lots of different ways to, to contact. Uh, and uh, if you contact us, there will be a, a, we're 300 Swifties worldwide. We're here to help the micro and small business transform and grow. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us today. Don, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. We welcome our next guest, John DeVito. Are you on the phone, John? Yes, I am. Uh, Welcome to the show. Uh, John is president of Flexible Benefits. And he's here to talk to us about a lot of subjects that we're all very interested in, uh, which is health care, benefits, et cetera. Uh, but, John, before we uh, start in, we always ask our guests to say a little bit about their personal background, give us a little flavor of them. Sure. Um, my background is, is, is employee benefits specifically. We are a company of uh, over 25 years practicing and selling health insurance, both individual and small group, and administering cafeteria plans in the Illinois market. Um, we represent really all the top-line carriers, <clears throat> specifically the Blues, United, Aetna. Our distribution channel consists of uh, over 4,000 brokers that work through us. We uh, also administer and insure some 5,000 group clients in the state of Illinois, and literally tens of thousands of individual policyholders uh, use our services. Gives you a well, quick overview of who we are. Well, that's who you, your company is, but who are you? Tell us I'm a little the president bit about yourself. And owner. And oh, I'm, I'm the president no, and owner. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, uh, we try to make this a highly personal program. Oh, sure, okay. Um, myself, uh, I'm, I'm a father of five children and uh, three in college at one time right now, currently, and two in, in, uh, in high school. Uh, active in sports, um, but my background primarily is really just work. We, I work very hard, long days, long nights, and uh, over the last five years, um, this has been a, a whirlwind uh, in, in my industry. Um, so it's uh, for me personally, it's been challenging, it's been exciting, it's been um, it's new, the whole new frontier in healthcare and the healthcare delivery system. Uh, yes, uh, uh, someone likened it that, uh, that we've all jumped off a cliff and hope someone's built a uh, swimming pool before we land. Uh, <laughs> Very well said. Uh, 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 I saw an interesting factoid in the Wall Street Journal recently that said that, amongst other things, that uh, uh, small businesses under 50, uh, small businesses in general next year who are not self-insured will we'll, uh, pay over $9 billion in additional taxes uh, mm-hmm. because of Obamacare, but uh, right. uh, which was, to me was a frightening statistic. But um, uh, we're, we're all small businesses here listening in. We all have concerns. We all have uncertainties. Uh, can you give us some guidance, some thoughts, and the, the floor is yours. Sure. Um, as we see it today, we, um, as I said, we're responsible for thousands of small employers. Our market share 
primarily when it talks about the group side is between two to fifty lives. That's where we spend much of our time. And you know, when you talk about healthcare reform and you talk about public exchanges and all these different aspects of it, the things we've been hearing in the news as of late, um, everybody seems to think it's all geared towards that individual, that one policyholder who's looking for insurance. All these decisions that are being made and have been made, for example, last week when the administration came out um, and said that they were going to allow people to keep their individual policies, that's just not individual policyholders. That's also small businesses. So what's happening in this marketplace and has over the last uh, five months is that all employers um, in the state of Illinois, most of them I should say, most employers by their insurance carrier have been given a choice to renew their current health plan, which would keep them in, uh, prior to any changes of 2014, so they would be able to keep their current plan, renew on 12-1, and then what they would be able to do then is have an option to look at a January 1 renewal, and that would be ACA compliant, meaning that the benefits would change, the costs would change, so on and so forth. So all employers, again, most employers have had a choice to either do a renewal, so either 12-1 or go into the 1-1 policy, and then that becomes an ACA qualified plan. We've seen over two-thirds of all employers have chosen just to stay put. They're not moving, and they're basically going to hold on to the plan for another year. And then what's going to happen now is next year, going into the renewal cycle, is that on 12-1 of 14 then, all these businesses are going to be faced with the same issue, but this time they're not going to have an option. They're going to have to move. So it depends on the employer and the physician. Some employers did benefit. Um, a, minor, a minority of those employers benefited by taking the new ACA plan, but the majority did not. And so what's happening now is we're basically just kicking the can down the road for another year of, of, uh, of a uh, case in point where all employers under 50 lives are now going to have to um, face with renewal options and ones that they may not like. And there was a recent study that was in, uh, uh, brought out yesterday that said anywhere from 50 to 100 million empl uh, employees uh, could lose or ch change their plans next year at this time. That's a staggering number, and quite honestly, it's very realistic just based on the fact that those changes do have to occur. So I think all employers are now seeking out and saying, what are my options? What can I do? How do I avoid this? And really, there is no way. So if you look at the large case market, and I'll call large case 50 employees or more, um, there was a mandate that was put on them, which, by the way, the administration pushed that down another year as well. But uh, it, the original date was 1-1 of 14, and it said that any, employees, uh, would, uh, any employer who had 50 employees or greater would have to offer their employees insurance. And if they did not do that, there would be a $2,000 fine for every employee in the company. And so now that's pushed down the road for another year. So 1-1 one, one of 15, that's going to go into effect. So here's the irony of it, though, is that that small employer that it's affecting today, they are not subject and do not have to offer any form of group insurance to their employees. So any employer's 50 lives or less are not held to any responsibility or obligation by law to provide benefits to their employees. Ironically, though, those actual employees themselves are all subject to a mandate, to a penalty, and this year, going on January 1 of 14, it's going to be $95 or 1% of their pay or whatever is greater. And then that number over the next three years will accelerate as high as 695 or 2.5% of their pay, whatever is greater. Those individuals are now going to be subject to having to buy insurance. And that's, that's where the big, uh, you know, the, the train wreck is what's happening to the economy because people can't go buy the insurance because the exchanges can't get up and running. But just in theory, if you look at that, what happened here is that all these employees are now going to have to go buy insurance if their employer does not offer it to them. 
In the state of Illinois, we know that two-thirds of small businesses do not offer any form of group benefit to their employees. So there are millions of people that this is going to be subject to. And, um, you know, the, the, the question will become now is from an employer position, what is the responsibility of an employer in the small group market? Most employers do want to provide a coverage to their employees. They want to give them benefits. They just haven't been able to do it. Uh, either uh, really the two biggest reasons were, one, because of the cost, and then two, was they tried to get a group plan in place, but unfortunately, uh, there's minimum participation requirements that were held uh, on small group benefits uh, by the insurance carriers, and many of those companies didn't qualify for the minimum participation, which is either going to be 50 or 75% of the group has to participate. So those employers wanted to do something, they just couldn't. So here are all these people that are going to be faced with the option of going to buy insurance, and they've got to go to a public exchange or a private exchange. I think that's one of the myths, by the way, that I really would like to bring home is people do not have to go to the public exchange to buy health insurance. Whether you qualify for a subsidy or not, a private exchange like our exchange, and we have our own private health insurance exchange, is called insurexsolutions.com. We're we are a web-based broker. Wait, uh, John, let me interrupt. What is it again? Sure. The website what's, would be insure. The, yeah, insurex What's the exchange? exchange? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. uh, I just want insurex. InsureXSolutions.com, or they can just go to our website, Flexible Benefit Deck. Sure. Um, It's going to be I-N-S-U-R-E-X-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com, InsureXSolutions. Well, I think that's very important, Uh, and I think that's a very important point that you, uh, you make. <clears throat> there's still a role for the insurance broker in this world today. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, did you say explain the role? Uh, no, there, there's still a role for Oh, the, there's a uh, very important role. The, yeah. Um, you know, since this whole ruling came out, or I should say when the law was passed back in 2010, we're responsible for um, thousands of small groups. And one of the things that we said was, how are we going to help or protect our block of business because of the healthcare reform, and we knew that so many businesses um, are going to look at this and say, I don't need to offer coverage, and coverage is going to keep going higher. What am I going to do as an employer? So what we did is we built this healthcare exchange, and we did it a little bit differently as a company. We, are, we, we touch all segments of the marketplace, a two-man group, a 50-man group, a 2,000-man group. We administer benefits across the board, but there's a huge part of our company that spends a lot of time in the small group side. And one of the things that we looked at and we said, if an employer happens to get a rate increase in 2013 and 14 and 15, one of those years, and decides that I'm no longer going to offer coverage because they don't have to, what we wanted to do is create a net for these people, for these employers. So what we did is we created a health insurance exchange, and we came in differently is because we approached it from the individual side. So what we're doing is we're offering employers, should they want to, is to be able to offer their employees individual health insurance policies. So the, the, the experience for an employer today who does not offer any insurance at all uh, we've picked up many groups like this, and what they've done is they've said to their employees, I've tried to give you insurance, I can't afford it, or we couldn't meet these requirements for the participation, so now what we're going to do is I'm going to send you to this exchange, I will give you guys a pay raise of some form because none of it can be pre-taxed, uh, this is not something that can be pre-taxed, so the employer can maybe provide some kind of additional compensation of their paychecks to pay for it, and those employees can then go to the exchange and they can purchase insurance on themselves, on their dependents, on their children. 
and the beauty about this exchange is it's multi-carrier. So one employee could have Blue Cross and Blue Shield, another employee could have United Healthcare, another employee could have Aetna. And really what we're trying to do is cater to the needs of the individual because really in the end, it's the end consumer that is the most important in, in the world of health insurance because those people have to make decisions based on their lifestyles, their needs, and how much money they have. So our exchange comes into it from a different perspective. We came in and we said we'll offer individual policies, and we also offer group. So we can do both sides in our exchange, which is a very unique offering in the marketplace. And the reason we do this and did this is all the years of experience that we have in administering benefits for 25 years. It's, you know, we see the market. We see how people react. We know buyers. We know their habits. We understand small employers. Um, and, and so in thinking this through over the last three, four years and developing all the technology behind it, it's all proprietary to my company, is that we just felt that this would be the best possible model for an employer who wants to provide coverage and can't, uh, for those employers who have uninsured individuals, uh, or that employer could just bottom line down, he could, the employer could just say, you want to know what, I'm going to just hire this private exchange for my company, for my employees to go there, and this is where I'm going to send you from here on out and this is how you're going to buy your benefits. And that employer doesn't have to participate at all. Eighty percent of all employees we know factually look to the employer to provide some form of coverage or direction on benefits. So we know the employees look to the employer, and we know the employers want to give it to them, but this quagmire has been set in the market because of cost. 1-1 January 14, every policy is guaranteed issue. So no matter how sick, no matter what your conditions are, they have to issue a policy to you. So that's changed the landscape of an employee being able to go buy coverage now. And, they, and, and so the arrangement would be that the employer is hiring a private health insurance exchange to establish and, and provide benefits coverages to all of their employees. Well, uh, that's fascinating. I assume all of these policies will be ACA compliant. Yes, every policy sold in the market has to be ACA compliant. The difference is this is that when, uh, when shopping in the marketplace, you have two choices now as an individual, I'll say for this moment, is that you either are on the exchange, meaning that's public exchange, and for example, a carrier may offer 20 plans on the public exchange. When you go off exchange or to a private exchange, that same carrier may offer 35 plans. So what we need to do and what we're helpful for and what we try to guide people to see is this. Just because you qualify for a subsidy of some form doesn't necessarily mean that's the best deal for you. So people have to look for both on and off exchange because that one carrier that offers 20 plans, they may have a plan on the private side or on the off exchange side that is even less expensive, but it's just not on the public exchange. So people need to understand that and they need to shop that. There's a shopping experience that has to occur for these people. They just can't say, I'm going to the public exchange to buy health insurance. There's many choices that are out there and the brokers can guide these people. So the broker has a very important role more now than ever, actually, I believe, although the government and the carriers are making it harder and harder because people need to be certified. So certification process is taking place. You need to be certified to be on the exchange. You need to be certified to sell the carrier's products. So, uh, you know, those kind of things are making things a little more complicated for some brokers. But overall, there's a very important spot and role for the broker for the distribution of these products. Well, um, is it possible that the, that the – uh, uh, the the big uh, th headlines this week uh, have been on the fact that many of the uh, offerings on the exchanges have uh, limited um, uh, uh, health care providers. Is it possible that uh, uh, that you may be able to keep your doctor and uh, your policy <coughs> uh, on a on a private exchange that you couldn't get at a public exchange? 
Um, not necessarily. You know, what's happened here is in the way the carriers are providing uh, less cost, less, less costly plans are, is, you know, this is the old cycle that healthcare has always gone through since I've gotten in the business, which is they, gotta, they go squeeze the provider, they squeeze the doctor, they squeeze the hospital, and they try to, um, you know, get them to provide services for less and less. So now what's happening is the health carriers are going back into their contracts that they have set up established for their health care providers, and they're reducing the size of those providers. So what they're doing is they're shrinking the network size, and then what's going to happen is they're actually promising those providers more patients, but for every person that comes, they get less money. And so that being, um, you know, if in the exchange, you're going to have both sides of networks. You're going to have the larger networks. You're going to have the smaller networks. It's just really a, a choice of that individual and how much they want to pay because in the end, it all comes down to cost, right? I mean, that's what health insurance, the biggest angst on health care is just the sheer cost of it. And I think one of the things that was missed inside this whole health care debate and the whole health care bill was there's nothing in there that really controls the cost of health care when it comes to the end user. So the incentives for those people to save money, it's the same it's always been. I go to my doctor, I have a copay, I have a drug card, I don't care what it costs, I just go. Now some of those changes have occurred now going to 14. Now the deductibles are higher, the out-of-pockets are higher, and people are going to have to realize this. Um, and they'll be more responsible of paying more and more out of their pockets. I think that's going to help in that facet. But just in the end, we've got to get people to understand the sheer cost that they should shop for healthcare services. You know, simple things, MRIs, uh, X-rays, uh, different, you know, physicals. I mean, you could, you could get an MRI at one of the leading hospitals in Chicago to cost you $2,000. You could walk down the street 50 feet from that, from that hospital, go into an MRI location privately held and pay $600. No difference, nothing, other than the fact that you walk 50 feet apart. And I think in the end, that's where individuals need to be involved in health care and the cost of health care and how they purchase health care. It's a very unusual way of saying things. You, know, you can't think of somebody actually buying health care, but it needs to become more transparent, and people need to be more involved and active in the cost when they can. And I know health care is when you get in the hospital, there's nothing you can do, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't even waste your time. Let the health care providers treat you then. But it's those incidental expenses, which are in the billions where people could have a little more say in and have less impact on the bottom line to their deductibles and their out-of-pockets. But no matter where you go, um, it, it, the, it seems to be indication that the costs of these health care plans are going up. Absolutely. The whole overall cost has gone up. And so I think what people are going to find out now, um, like, for example, in the state of Illinois, we ran by a six-band rate uh, tiering. So... From one to six, there were six bands, and um, what happened now is because of the new law, that squeezed down to three bands. So what you're doing is you're taking the younger people and you're bringing them up, and you're actually bringing the older people and you're bringing them down in cost, though the overall cost has gone up. So and the overall cost has gone up just because of all of the essential benefits that are added into it because of the, um, the, the, the taxes and the, and the penalties. There's, 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 there's layers of, of, of cost that are inside here, but it all, um, bottom line, comes out to be that it's just more money. And ironically, though, the, the benefactor of this whole thing really is that person that's 40 or 50 years old. We're seeing studies already from some of the buyers uh, based on our, on our exchange. We're seeing that... Um, the buyers today that we're seeing for 1-1 are 40 and 50, 55 and 60-year-old people. They're not the 20s. They're not the 30s. Um, and, and probably the biggest reason for that, what we're seeing is, a lot of those people needed insurance, but they just couldn't get it because of their health condition. And in the state of Illinois, we're an underwritten state. 
So that meant that a carrier could underwrite you, they could decline you, or they could rate you. On one one, like I said earlier, it's guaranteed issue. That does not exist any longer. So what's happening now is people who've wanted insurance and couldn't get it now can get it. And they tend to be those people that are in their 40s or 50s. They may have have high blood pressure. They may have some kind of a medical condition that just precluded them, and now they can have the coverage. So that's what we're seeing the take rate today at. But we need the younger people in here because they offset the expenses, and that's a big concern. The young people have to be a part of this whole process or else this thing is going to go into a tailspin uh, over the next couple of years. Well, but do you believe the young people... Uh, we've heard this thing about uh, adverse selection. Do you believe the young people will come in uh, and purchase the insurance at the level that uh, uh, to make it viable? Um, I, I'm, I'm on the sidelines on that one. I honestly have to say because I, I am concerned. I am really concerned that, um, you know, just picture this today that we gave out letters from our carriers that we have individual policies through, and those letters went out to, you know, all these people, and it said that, you know, your plan no longer qualifies because you bought it after, uh, was it uh, March 23rd, 2010, so that meant that it was not grandfathered. So any of those policies had to be re-upped, so, and they had to become ACA qualified on 1 of 14. Now, that's what this whole thing was about last week when it came to the administration coming out and saying we're going to let you keep your policies. And consequently, by the way, a lot of the states aren't letting these people keep their policies, which is really ironic. I mean, I don't think anybody could have anticipated the reaction from some of the states, especially California yesterday said, we're not going to honor this. Whatever the administration wants to, you know, said that you can do, unfortunately the state cannot react fast enough, so we're just going to keep going, and those policies have to go in. So imagine that I'm a 22-year-old person, and I'm paying $150 a month, and I currently have a $500 deductible. I just received my new letter, and I'm making these numbers up. I'm just trying to draw a parallel. Now my premium is $275, and my deductible went to $2,500. Well, that individual is going, well, hold on a minute. I mean, this just went up so much on me. What if I didn't pay for the premium or pay the, you know, didn't have my insurance? It's only going to be a $95 penalty or 1% of their income. So if they're making you know, $40,000, it's 1%. It's going to be $400. So some of these people are really going to think long and hard about it. Now, as the years increase or go by, that number will get bigger, and those people then will have to really think about whether they've got to keep these policies. But I think that's the thing that we have to show people, is that you have to find these plans that sit inside the exchanges or at the carriers because there are products that are competitive, but you just have to do a little shopping with it. You need some guidance to talk to a broker, talk to a, a private health insurance exchange like ourselves. That's what we're really focusing on is trying to guide the people. And then just by the way, Don, the other side to it is that a lot of these people will qualify for subsidies too just because of their incomes. You know, they're coming into the workforce. So they're not, they're not our high, earn, uh, high earners just as of yet. So they're 22, 25, 27, coming out of college. And um, in some situations, some of those people will qualify for a subsidy. The question is, though, how much will that subsidy actually be and will it actually cover a lot of the premiums that these people are going to be asked to pay for? Uh, but how does your exchange identify if uh, these if they buy private insurance that they qualify for a subsidy? Do they then have to so the be first, a, 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 yeah, the first question we'll ask our people is when they come into the exchange, we have a calculator that sits in there. It'll ask the individual. Um, bottom line is, you know, do you qualify for a subsidy? And then we'll have them go through a process, which is going to ask them their income. It's going to ask them where they live, how many dependents, so on. And at that case, and it's strictly just a, uh, an overview, it's, there's no guarantees of this, and what we'll say is, 
you know, you possibly qualify for some form of a subsidy. And what we'll do then is we'll push them off to the federal site. Now, I want to put a caveat around this. We are a web-based broker. We're approved. We just can't get to the Fed site yet. We ping that site every day, and, uh, you know, just because of all the issues that are facing them right now, um, it's, it's, it's blocked up. And so we think that over, obviously, the next 15, 20, 30 days, this will start to open up, and we'll have direct access in there. And what we'll do is we'll provide those people the ability to go to HHS, to apply for a subsidy. Should they have a subsidy, they'll come back into our exchange, and then at that point we'll put them onto the public exchange side, and then they can purchase insurance policies um, with the subsidy dollars. But again, remember, that subsidy may come out to be $15. So maybe they don't do that, use that subsidy. Maybe they just go and buy a private plan on a private side, uh, an off-exchange, because maybe it's going to be less overall. We don't know that. You know, we just got to see the numbers and where people are shopping it. But in the end, it's there is a solution for employers. I just want to point this out, because today, as of, you know, today's marketplace and how things are sold, again, everything was underwritten and people were declined. Tomorrow that changes. So an employer could either keep their small group plan intact and they could run them through a private exchange like ours and they can give people the opportunity to choose within the group plan offerings and they can give to the contribution levels and those contributions can be pre-taxed and they can have a nice experience in their group benefit. If that employer says, I don't want to do this any longer, I'm just going to allow my people to go private individual policies, they can do the same thing through the private exchange. So that's what's changed. It's actually given, uh, it's given more options to the smaller marketplace, although more expensive. It's given more options. And I think that's the part that people need to understand. And employers really need to, um, to, to, to you know, make this available to their employees. Uh, employers, um, I'm not going to say they have responsibility, but I think employees look to them and say, can you help me? And I think this is a time where they can say, yes, we can actually direct you and we can hire an uh, exchange and we can guide you through the process. And our responsibility as an exchange is really to just um, either they can go on electronically and apply all the way through to the end and get a policy issued and or they could just call the 800 number and we could talk them through there and we have licensed professionals that can uh, answer any of the questions that these people have. Um, I think that's going to be a big uh, part of the market going forward. Uh, will you tell them your, um, um, uh, your, your website and your uh, tele, uh, 800 number? Absolutely. Yeah, so our website, once again, is insurexsolutions.com, um, and that's I-N-S-U-R-E-X-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. And then our toll-free number is 855-563-6993. Um, and, and that's InsureX Solutions. So Flexible Benefit Service Corporation is at my company, and we also then opened up the exchange as a separate entity to be able to provide and facilitate benefits for, uh, for employees, for employers. We work with brokers, consultants. We work with carriers. Uh, and we're, it's a very robust exchange, by the way. It, it, it provides every aspect. So we don't just do quotes. If an employer said to us, I need for you to push and pull all of my files and my data to my different providers, whether it be an ancillary carrier, whether it be a health carrier, whether it be a payroll company, all of that is available to that employer through our services. So it's a very well thought through, robust technology that can actually serve an individual to a small employer. We have clients that are up to, as I said earlier, in the thousands. We have carriers that are clients of ours. Some of the largest consultants in the country use our, use our products. So it's, uh, it's tested, it's proven, 
and uh, there's just a good experience there. Our biggest issue today right now as everybody's going through is we just are having a hard time with getting to the Fed and opening up the channels to get the rates from the carriers. So uh, we think as all train wrecks eventually get cleaned up and the train gets back on the track, you know, that's what people refer to this so far, um, is that I think that this will get cleaned up. I think that the Fed will open up and there will be a nice experience for people uh, over the next 30, 60 days, and then people will start to be able to buy the insurance. There's a pent-up demand for insurance now, and we're just having a hard time getting it to them just because of some of the limitations. But as I said, I think that will all uh, get cleaned up, and you know, they're, 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 they're going at it. I know that in Washington. They're pulling everybody they can to make, make this right, and eventually it will get fixed, and people will be able to access this stuff. Uh, John, thank you for being with us today. And uh, uh, let's hope you, you're right about it, the tra- train wreck getting straightened out. Have a nice day. <laughs> I, yeah, thank you very much. Our next guest is Dan Banoff. Dan, are you with us? I am with you, Don. Uh, Dan, um, I, 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 welcome, I invited you on the program because I was tremendously impressed by um, uh, your presentation uh, uh uh, recently at uh, uh, the HP uh, Press Day. Uh, but uh, as we do with all our guests, I, I want to ask you to take about a minute or two. Uh, is, is your designer joining us today? You know, he's not, Don. He, he had another appointment. Okay. All right. So just you. So, Dan, will you just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and uh, how you got to uh, where you um where you are now? Sure. Um, I live in Boise, Idaho. Uh, I've been here since the 1980s, early 1980s, and uh, started uh, working for Hewlett Packard back in uh, back in the late 80s, and worked in a number of different positions. Ended up living in uh, Amsterdam and setting up a big call center for them uh, in in for for Europe and. Um, after about 17 years, I decided I wanted to make a change and try to put into practice all the all the things that I, I learned at my my time with HP. So I I took an early retirement opportunity and and set up a. I really wanted to do something in downtown Boise. Um, we have a great downtown, as you experienced, and uh, I just wanted to well, see if I could try to contribute to the community and and put into practice some of the. Uh, Oh, all the different marketing and, and branding ideas that we uh, we learned and at, at Hewlett Packard when I was there. So I um, I opened up, looked around, started looking at specialty and you know, specialty ideas, and decided that I would revitalize an old idea um, that used to be all the way across the, the United States and the Mid East and um, central part of the part of the U.S. and the South and opened up a, a nut shop, a peanut shop. So we, similar to the old planners, peanut shops that existed. So um, that's what I did. And it's been four years now, and we're we're having a lot of fun, and I think we've made a real contribution to the core downtown of Boise. Well, I was in Boise last week, and I went to your shop, uh, and, and uh, I, I was really impressed by the... Uh, 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 what what you demonstrated at the HP program was the uh, um, uh, the ability to, uh, to use some of their equipment to create what I think is some of the more creative uh, 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 branding that I've seen. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that and and 
how you came. What's the name of your shop to start with? Well, uh, the name of the shop is City Peanut Shop, um, and it's uh, we're at in downtown Boise, and it's uh, citypeanut.com online. We're still working on our online presence, so we're not uh, not fully there yet. We wanted to make sure we had everything, all the process down right before we turned on the online portion, but we do take orders um, over the phone and by email. Um, and the way that this came about is, I, you know, I think, through all my experience working with HP over the years, I had a, a real good sense of kind of what customers are looking for, and 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 uh, you know because it's a, it was a company that uh, has always been a company that was strong on relationships. I I knew that we had to build relationships and try to give people you know, a real authentic experience, which I think is is really missing um, as everything's been corporatized in America. If I can make up a word there, um, so I wanted to. Uh, you know, I worked with, a, I, I just really got lucky, and the designer that I um, ended up meeting had just uh, moved back to the Boise area not too long before, and uh, we just had a real mind meld as far as what I was trying to, uh, what I was trying to develop, and, and he understood my vision of trying to give people a, an authentic experience and and um, convey, you know, this sense of new and old together. I wanted to pay homage to the old nut shops that existed but give it a modern twist. So I think we achieved that in a in a real fundamental way and it's really resonated with people. I, I you know, the response we get is is like like what you just said, it's um you know, it works. Uh, the branding works and it and it I think part of that's because it really is genuine. I'm not you know, it does represent my values and it does represent the values of the uh, community that I live in. Uh, you have some very unusual peanuts, and uh, roasting it. And, and you, uh, one of the things you said is you allow your uh, staff to kind of create things. And I think you had one there, a beer one, and then there was another one. Um, tell us a little bit about that. How you engage your employees, and uh, and just a little bit about that. You have some unusual brand uh, uh, products. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I've just been really fortunate in being able to hire some some really good individuals and um, creative individuals, and um, I'm a big believer in you know drawing from other people's uh, inspirations, and so um, you know we've been able to come together and, and uh, you know I, I assign everybody the task of giving giving me one or two pro- new product ideas per year as far as flavorings go. Um, we started you know craft brewing as a big component of uh, the economy here in the Northwest now, and Boise's not uh, not lacking of any. There's uh, going to probably be 15 breweries in this small town by the end of next year. And so I wanted to tie into the brewing industry and start working with them, and um, we talked about it over the, over the years, and we decided that we'd try, um, someone suggested we start putting, one of the employees started talk, talked about putting um, some brewing ingredients into our nuts and flavoring them that way. And so we've done that, but but the nice thing is that we've been able to collaborate with some of the local breweries and actually use some of their beer um, to create nuts that, uh, you know, actually share some of the the flavor profile. Um, Especially in the Northwest, things are real real targeted towards um, strong flavors in beers. So that's been really uh, one way to do it. We've also, one of my employees around... Um, Halloween time was was talking about how she really loved pumpkin pie 
spice and we should make a caramel corn with pumpkin pie spice. So we we actually tried that. It didn't work that well, but we tried it without the sweetness and, and it came out just delicious. So we have a, a pumpkin pie uh, popcorn that is has a little bit of kick to it, but it's not uh, not sweet, which people like. And uh, we developed, we just kind of come up with, uh, I think me not being in the in the food business before lets me break the rules a little bit since I don't know anything about uh, cooking. I'm not not restricted by my my knowledge or tradition in that way, so I'm willing to you know try things and take input about in in ways that are different than a, a some play with a culinary background might might do. And and then of course I I've got somebody. Um, that helps me a lot, a real essential member of the team that does have a culinary background, and he's able to kind of take those ideas and make them work. So we've been fortunate. We have things called afterburners, uh, some good peanuts called afterburners that start out sweet and then they get hot. And then we've got some that have uh, some almonds with cardamom and nutmeg, and um, I use ghost chili a little bit on some nuts, and we just have a, a really unique array of of product. We've got some called Idaho smoke jumpers that are smoky with a touch of Tabasco. And most of those, you know, came from some of the folks that work with us and we just try to align ourselves with uh, with what's going on out there in the in the community. So it's well, growing and try that. How well, do you promote your product? Well we primarily use Facebook to promote our products. Um we've got a a, a big base. We tie in with uh, other businesses in town, also. So we there's a there's events in, in Boise that uh, encourage people to come downtown, and and so we we do that. We also I find that doing um, charitable donations to instead of buying ad space uh, in the paper, which I don't find to be that effective. It's a lot more cost-effective for me to hit the demographic that I'm trying to trying to reach, and also do good for the community at the same time by uh, being uh, involved in charity auctions. And, and we do two or three baskets a week of of our products, so that it actually gets out in the hands of the of the people who would be our our visitors to the shop to buy it. So we try to pull them in that way. I think word of mouth has been our primary. Um, our primary way of getting the word out. We didn't. We I purposely avoided a lot of media um, at the in the in the first two or three years because I, I wanted it to be something that you know. There's there's a consumers. I believe I really enjoy being the ones who discover something and then sharing it with their friends. And if you make that easy for them, I, I think that is a lot more effective than you know. Putting that in the, in the in somewhere that that states that your products are delicious or unique or or um, something that you want to share. So I think having people be able to talk about it is a lot more effective. Well, that was one of the things when uh, I spoke with you uh, um, uh, at your store. Uh, that I hadn't heard from a lot of people. You, um, you in effect, uh, put your product in the hands of your your audience through these gift, gift uh, baskets, etc. I, I thought that was uh, quite clever. You, you've been in business four years. You opened at the bottom of the re- recession almost, and now you're approaching the critical fifth year. 
um, what have you learned over these years? I know you learned a lot. What were the three top things you learned? Well, the, the first thing I learned going from a corporate infrastructure to a, being an entrepreneur is that um, it's relentless. That you don't take it, you don't approach it lightly. That you've got to be prepared to go for the long haul and have the have the finances behind you to carry you through those first couple of years. Because it isn't, you know, typically that you open the doors and the money doesn't just pour in. You've got to develop that market, which I I discovered. So that'd be probably the first thing. Um, the second thing would be consistency. Um, and this is something I knew. You know, this is how when I worked for HP, how they built their their brand and their reputation was to build a sterling product when they developed those those first early printers. Um, it's an in, you know an infallible product. It just didn't fail. And uh, you have to produce first of all, above anything else, you you've got to develop a good product that that people want. And so you know, using good ingredients and and uh, buying good quality base for your product, uh, no matter what it is, is, is important. So, And then um, third is to maintain your authenticity. And I, I hate to overuse that word, but I think it's it's in this day, you know, with the, the different, I think our generation and the generation below us, I'm, I'm in my late 50s, but our, the generation below us certainly have been marketed to their whole life. Um, from the day they were born, they were probably before... Um, they've been marketed to uh, relentlessly, and I, so I think, you know, offering a, you know, a genuine experience to people, um, it, it was a big lesson for me. Is that people are hungry to establish relationships and develop and to develop. Um, I don't know if, how you'd say it. I guess they're they're trying to they want to develop. I guess I'd just say it this way: they they want to develop a relationship. Um, whether it's with a business or somewhere else, there are people that don't care and they just go out and, and buy whatever, and it's it's about that. But what I find is that especially young people are hungry to kind of establish that relationship, like we used to. That they used to be there a lot more when you had a 20 or 30 year relationship with the same barber or went to the corner grocer and and uh, saw the same guy in the produce department for years and years, and they could give you advice on on produce, and you had the guy in the meat department. I think people are hungry for those relationships. So I think that's been fortified in my mind that if you establish yourself as a good member of the community and and you have a good product and you um, put out a consistently excellent product, uh, people are going to keep coming back and they're going to support you and they're going to make that decision to come into a downtown core versus going out to a strip mall or somewhere else. To They're going to seek you out. So... Um, it's always a challenge in a in a downtown. Not being a downtown's kind of get populated with. I find that they tend to get populated with uh, franchise operations because the when the economy does get better, the lease prices go up, and so you've got to you've got to somehow pull people into a core. And I think that's you know giving them those unique experiences. Um, I think of Austin, Texas, and I think of places in in the Village in New York where. You know, you go in. There's characters working in the stores, and and it's a unique experience. And people are, as I said, I think people are seeking that out, especially younger folks who've been who know when they're being marketed to all the time. So, so those are the three things well, I've learned. 
that last one is no one's really mentioned that before on this program, and I'm glad you did. Um, again, uh, uh, your website. Uh, the website is citypeanut.com. Yeah, there's a, a few um, problems with functionality at this point, but we're we're getting there. You can put, you should be able to pull a menu off in there, and if not, uh, it'll it'll be there real shortly. And we do ship. It's uh, you know I didn't want to yeah you know to be honest I've hesitated on on or sl- slowed the process of getting the website out there because I want to make sure that we had the process down right before I did it. Um, and but we're ready to launch, and it should. You can go off the website and look, and and then if you send us an email or call us, we'll we'll ship things to you. What's your email? We the email is uh, dan at citypeanut dot com. So dan and then just citypeanut without the s dot com. All right, Dan. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Um, uh, I know I enjoy your product. Uh, I enjoyed your product, and uh, uh, we, we wish you well. You're, you're entering well, your you. fifth year, which is uh, the critical year for any small business, and we wish you good luck. Well, thanks, Don. We've had continuous growth since we've opened, so it's only getting better. So I appreciate your having me on the program. We'll, uh, we'll talk again and bring you back in, in the new year. Have That's a good wonderful. day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you. And have a good day.